1: That's Audible.com slash WonderyPod or text Pod to
2: 500-500. Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. Now, sometimes we get a military veteran expert in here to talk about the issues in the news, and other times we'll talk about the issues that uniquely affect veterans. But I tell you, every episode will bring you fascinating guests with incredible stories to share. My goal every week is simple, bring you something informative and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. This hour, we'll hear one of the craziest and yet true Vietnam war stories.
3: Well, he says, you need the whole case? I said, well, I'm going over there, and I'm going to bring beer to my buddies over there. Pulled up to the ship, they come up the gangway, and I greeted him right away. And I said, hey, Tommy! He says, Chucky! Oh, my God! What the hell are you doing here? Tommy, really? That's what I'm doing over here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we'll meet another warrior whose traumatic injuries in combat led him to become one of the nation's premier yoga instructors to be lost
4: in the sauce about some negative thing that happened in your past or stressing out over something that is in the future and hasn't even happened yet and you're bringing all the fear anxiety worry as a real experience in the present moment over a future that isn't even real
2: that's all coming at you next In our next segment, we're going to talk about something every veteran needs to know, and that's where we should live. So the personal finance website WalletHub has released its 2020 Best and Worst Places for Veterans to Live, and here to tell us more about it is Miss Jill Gonzalez. Jill, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I always like to talk to you because you give me all these neat, like all these neat surveys, whether it's the most patriotic city in the country or whether it's the place that they should retire. Now, before we get to the list, tell me how this was decided, because I could think of any number of things that would make a place good for me to live.
5: Yeah, we looked at the 100 largest U.S. cities across 20 different indicators of livability, affordability, veteran friendliness. So narrowing that down even more It really zooms in on things like the share of military skill-related jobs available to veteran income growth to availability of VA health facilities. So We really looked at things specific to veterans.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. So when you talked about the health ranking, I noticed some of that was having to do with where you could get VA services.
5: It looks at VA health facilities. It looks at the quality of the VA health facilities, which, you know, certainly varies. From place to place, it also coronavirus, too, and states with the best health infrastructure in dealing
2: with that. Now, it also factored in things like employment and uh, employers that take into account veterans' skill sets. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? That's kind of interesting. I mean, you're, you're not just talking about, like, huge industrial centers where there's a lot of machine factories and stuff like that. You're talking about uh, places where vets can really plug right in?
5: Yeah, exactly. So as far as employment, we look at the share of military skill-related jobs. We look at the veteran unemployment rate. We look at job growth. And we look at veteran-owned businesses because typically when veterans own a business, they tend to hire more veterans. And so we look at those four things within employment to gauge where veterans can be a little bit more successful with finding that job because, you know, as you know, when people retire – From service they're typically pretty young they're 35 to 45 years old so they do most often need another job after they're done serving
2: and I know for some of my buddies that retired from the Navy it wasn't shortly after their retirement that their wife informed them that they just couldn't tolerate them in the house the entire time so they wanted to go out and do something different and uh, start a new chapter uh, let's talk about, uh, let me see, let's look, at the, let's look at the naughty list first. And we don't want to say naughty because each and every city's got its own thing about it that makes it a lovely place to live. But there were places that didn't test quite as well. Uh, what are the five sort of at the bottom of the list?
5: The five cities near the bottom of the list, uh, 96 was Baltimore, followed by Memphis, Baton Rouge, Newark, New Jersey, and 100 out of 100 was Detroit.
2: And I know many of those cities, I know Baltimore myself, I live not too far from it. And as many good things as it tries to do, what do you suppose was kind of the common denominator there that the cities were lacking in that sort of put them at the bottom?
5: Yeah, so I think each city had its own kind of uh, things that it needed to improve upon. But I will say most of those five cities, in fact, all of the five cities, really needed to improve upon uh, things like quality of life, which specifically for veterans, we're looking at the veteran population, and typically when there are more veterans, you have more of a like-minded community, so that certainly helps. We look at projected veteran population growth. Um, Those are two things that could be better across that board, and, of course, health, specifically when it comes to VA health facilities, the quality of those health facilities, and how many VA benefit administration facilities there are as well.
2: When you say quality of life, did that also factor in things like uh, recreation or things like outdoor, you know, hunting, fishing, uh, rock climbing? I mean, those kinds of things?
5: We did look at things like family friendliness, retiree friendliness. The retiree friendliness will look at, you know, those recreational activities, golfing, et cetera. And then we also looked at restaurants and entertainment establishments that offer military discounts. That was kind of the other quality of life equation
2: oh very cool no surprise there that you say restaurants because looking at the five that did phenomenally well i can name one in texas that just makes my mouth water when i think of the name of the city because of the great barbecue but uh, share with me who came in at the top
5: so we'll start out with number five which is austin texas uh number four was raleigh three tampa florida two irvine california and then number one, back to Florida in Orlando.
2: I'm seeing kind of a trend there, too. Warm weather places, usually, and uh, certainly a lot of great golf near all those communities. Um, what was the common denominator, you think, that really made it work for the top five?
5: Definitely better quality of life here. Uh, but also when it comes to employment, you know, a lot better of a veteran unemployment rate. You know, these places are more friendly do military-skill-related jobs. I think the states that they're in, uh, yes, they are warmer, but they also tend to be a little bit more military-friendly, more bases, especially when you're talking about Florida, North Carolina, Texas. So with that comes uh, more veteran-owned businesses and more hiring for that specific skill set. So I think it's definitely a snowball effect.
2: One surprise for me in the top five was Irvine, California, And I always think of California as like a great place to go vacation, a great place to be from if you've, you know, you know, if you're raised there, you know, the beaches and the mountains, it's kind of got it all. But then I think about high taxation rate and I think, well, it'd be tough to retire there or might not be the best spot for a veteran. Um, What is it about Irvine, you think, that really made it kind of a standout?
5: Yeah, Irvine was a little bit of an outlier. It actually ranked number one in two of the four categories. One was employment and one was health. So. When we're looking at even veteran-owned businesses, Irvine has one of the highest share of veteran-owned businesses in the country. It has one of the lowest veteran unemployment rates in the country. It has uh, some of the most things like VA benefits administration, VA health facilities per veteran population, uh, and great quality within both of those things. So patients are willing to recommend the VA hospitals there. Uh, they have a high number of VA hospital and nursing home beds. So all of those things are what makes Irvine so great. That being said, when it comes to taxation, probably less ideal than, say, a Florida or a Texas, you know, a no-income tax state. But veterans also tend to have higher incomes in Irvine itself. So when we're comparing the median veteran income there to how much housing costs, it's pretty affordable. So, all of those things kind of factor into Irvine ranking so well.
2: Now, in addition to all the great surveys and all these great lists that you guys come up with at Wallet Hub, uh, you do a lot of other things that the veterans can find useful and helpful. Uh, share with me a little bit more about Wallet Hub.
5: Yeah, if you're looking for a credit card or a loan uh, that might be veteran specific or military specific, we have a whole list of great financial institutions for those people in the military or family in the military. That's certainly helpful. And then for everything from your cell phone bill to your mortgage, uh, we try to have different calculators to help you save the most money moving forward on any one of your financial decisions.
2: You can find out more about all the great services and surveys at WalletHub.com. And stick around. We'll find out more about the greatest beer run ever when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. The veteran stories we hear make us proud to be Americans. As soon as I turned 18, I went into the local recruiter's office and signed up. But the stories we don't reflect the wounds that Wounded Warrior Project is there to heal.
4: But it was literally my favorite part of the city. When we went around it, it went kaboom. And when I moved my left leg it bent at the shin, I
2: was like, well, this is going to be a bad day. Now, more than ever, we need to help each other. And with only a $50 donation, you can help get One Warrior the mental health services that heal the mind, body, and soul.
4: When Wounded Warrior Project came calling again, saying, hey man, do you want to go on this trip? Do you want to go do this? Do you, we have all these different programs that you, where you can learn adaptive sports. I was more than happy to jump on top of it because I knew these people
2: that's the power of just a $50 donation to Wounded Warrior Project. Without Wounded Warrior
4: Project, I, I really honestly don't know where I would be.
2: So give what you can today at DonateToWarriors.org. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran and ConnectingVets.com journalist, Phil Briggs. Now, earlier this week, we celebrated Veterans Day, and I met a veteran with one of the craziest And yet, true stories from the Vietnam War era. John Chick Donahue grew up in New York City. And as the Vietnam War raged in the late 60s, most of John's beer-drinking buddies had gone off to fight. Now, after watching anti-war protests turn on the troops themselves, he and his friends hatched an insane plan. Someone should sneak into Vietnam, track down their buddies, and give them a message of support from back home, and share a few laughs over a beer it would be the greatest beer run ever. Well, Donahue actually did it. And the thrilling story of how he went from New York to the combat zones of Vietnam has been published in the new book, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, a memoir of friendship, loyalty, and war. Now, earlier this week, I spoke with the veteran-turned-merchant-mariner, John Chick Donahue, about this epic adventure for a special edition of our Veterans Day podcast. We'll go now to the part of our conversation where he shares what it was like when he delivered the first of many beers.
3: Actually, I didn't have any beer when I left the Union Hall. I figured, let me get to the ship first. Uh, there must be a place around the pier where you can get beer. I mean, even if they only service the Mariners. So uh, I got to the pier, and there was was a bar. And in Jersey, you they, you can buy case, a case of beer at the takeout. And I knew that. So uh, I got to the pier outside the gate, and I went to that bar, and I went in and I had a beer, and the guy says, are you, are you going on that ship? I said, yeah. He says, where are you going? I said, Vietnam, looks like. He says, yeah. I said, uh, uh, what kind of beer do you have? So he told me what beers he had, and uh, I bought a case, and uh, he gave me, he, well, he says, what are you going to, you need the whole case? I said, well, let's, I'm going over there, to, I'm going to bring beer to my buddies over there. And he thought that was great, so he gave me an extra case. Well, I drank it by the time I got there. It took me maybe a month and a half. It took me more than a month just across the Pacific and a few weeks to get down to the Panama and to the Panama. So good month and a half to get there.
2: Now, you also had a really interesting story at the ready, which I thought was super clever. <laughs> Explain to me what you said in order to go find, you know, your boys.
3: My story was he couldn't just be a friend. I made him uh, my stepbrother or my cousin or blah, blah, blah. I'd make up whatever, whoever I was talking to. My, my stepbrother's uh, 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 stationed not too far from here. And I want to go uh, catch up with him. And and then when a guy was looking at me like, no, 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 I said, then I'd add something like uh, we lost our mother uh, in September or something, and I promised her before she died that I would go over and find Bobby or something like that, whatever it was. I told him a sob story. And... uh, Obviously, they felt for it, or they just said, get out of here. So.
2: <laughs> well, sure as hell it worked. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this epic adventure and this incredible book called The Greatest Beer Run. Um, let's, uh, let's continue, and you get in there. Permission to go ashore, you leave the ship there, and then boom. What happens next?
3: Well, actually, I, I found a guy uh, before I even went ashore. I had permission to go ashore. I was waiting for the—it's an ammunition ship, so it's not tied up at a pier, so somebody can come and throw a bomb at it. It's out in the middle of, of a bay, and it's guarded. And the, and the guards are coming out in what they call a launch boat. The launch is coming out with these MPs on it, American MPs. And I noticed on the MP's helmet, there were a number, like, you know, MP 127 Battalion or whatever. And I looked at the number. I said, that's familiar. And I looked at my list. And the first one on my list was Tommy Collins. And he was 127th MT battalion. I said, oh, my God. So I pulled up to the ship they come up the gangway, and I greeted him right away. And uh, I said, hey, any of you guys know uh, Tommy Collins from New York? Oh, yeah, Tommy Collins. Yeah, we know Tommy Collins. I said, well, you know, I started telling the story. I said, uh, is he around here? Around? You see that ship over there? they I said, as soon as I drop off these guys here, these guards, American guards, I got to go over there and pick him up. He's. Uh, I got to go over and relieve them and bring them, bring them to shore. These guys are his relief, these other guys. I said, oh, my God. So I said, can I go with you? Yeah, sure. Come in. <laughs> so uh, the rank and file guys, they were just, some of them, ran away from me. They thought I'd get him in trouble. One guy in particular, he wanted nothing to do with me. (laughs) I terrified him. So I avoided him. But most of them thought, what a walk this is. Son of a shit. Sure, how can I help you? You know, one of those attitudes. So I got a launch and went over there. And uh, I'm coming up the gangway. And I see standing up on the top of the gangway on the ship looking over like any G.I. waiting for his relief to go off duty is Tommy Collins. He's looking down at me. So I said, hey, Tommy. He says, "Chicky, oh, my God. What the hell are you doing here? So I went up. I said, uh, he sounds no, really, what are you doing here? I said, uh, I promised your mother I'd come over here and find you. And I got some beer for you from the guys in the neighborhood. He just We just laughed. Thought it was crazy. No, really, Chickie. What are you doing over here? I said, Tommy, really? That's what I'm doing over here.
2: <laughs> and what I love I, from the video I saw is uh, when he was asked about it, he says, uh, who are you here with? And you looked at him and you're like, I'm here with you.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They all said the same thing. Well, not all of them. Him and, and, and Dugan. Dugan asked me the exact same question. Who are you here with? And I'm looking around like, there ain't nothing here we were out in the field with him and it was just rice paddies and woods and there was nobody else there
0: right
3: who could i be with but you we oh. went ashore we went to his barracks they got rid of most of their weapons and all and now they were off duty so we went to uh, a, a bar somewhere in, in you know near the base there and quit on and uh and i invited his buddies who were on watch with him, whatever. So we went there and uh, it was drinks for everybody. So we uh, we had a party. <laughs> During the party, there was other G.I.s there from different outfits and one guy was a big Texan he had a big cowboy hat on and uh, he had a first calf patch on his uh, fatigues. And the first cab was the next guy on my list was Dugan, and Dugan' address was the first cab. So uh, I went up to the Texan and I'm in my civilian clothes, and uh, uh, Levi's and a, and a shirt, and uh, I said, "Hey, uh, you're with the first cab?" He says, "Yeah." I said, "I'm looking for a guy by the name of Dugan." He's in, and I showed him the address. "Oh, he's up in on K," he says, "up in the Highlands." I said, "Oh, God!" So I told him the sob story. And, uh, or a version of it. And uh, he says, well, if you want, he says, uh, you can. Uh, I'll bring you up there in, uh, in the morning if you want. I can, you could can fly up in my plane like he had his own plane. I said, your plane? <laughs> he was the crew captain on a, 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 an albatross. So uh, I said, I can go up there with you? Yeah, sure. Just show up in the tarmac at 0800 hours and I'll bring you up there. Which after the party all night, The guys made sure they had me at the airport at 0800 hours, which was great that they were MPs because now they're in their MPs uniform. And uh, they rode out there with me, and they drove right up to the plane. All right? We drove around looking for the guy. There he was. There's his plane. So they drove right up to the plane. I get out. I'm surrounded by MPs in uniform. The Texan greeted me like he knew there was something up. Oh, this guy is, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm over here. Yeah, okay. uh, Put your name down here I put my name down on what was the manifest And he says shooting board So I bought it
2: (laughs) So many visuals I'm sure you capture in that book But it is amazing to think about Like what a civilian would be doing And how everybody must have just loved your ass Sitting in the bar Going I can't believe One of our guys from back home Just came out to visit us Oh that's awesome It was fun Now that's just one of a thousand stories in the new book, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, a memoir of friendship, loyalty, and war by John Chick Donahue. And you can hear our entire conversation by going to ConnectingVets.com and look in the audio section under CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans, powered by ConnectingVets.com. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now the feeling our next guest will give us can be summarized in one word, namaste. From nearly dying after an IED explosion to being an explosive force that teaches others how to live, I'm honored to have as our next guest, Army veteran Dan Nevins. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much, Phil. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. Um, I was looking at your website as we prepared for this segment, and you know, I love every Wounded Warrior story. And it's not that I love that someone got wounded. It's not that you know the pain and the sacrifice that was made is something that I enjoy. But it's 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 a character arc that always delivers and always makes me feel good. Uh, share with me a little bit about your life, um, and I'll preface it by saying I know you did eight years active, and then you went National Guard, right? And then you deployed and went back. Correct to the sandbox. Tell me a little bit about that leading up to the day you'll never forget.
4: Yeah, it was crazy. I you know, I you know, being in the army for so long, I you know, eight years peacetime, I never imagined being deployed from the National Guard and in the reality and when we were deployed in two thousand four, you know, we probably weren't the picture of readiness. So it was a huge learning curve for us um, being deployed, especially we were reorganized as an, as an infantry company. And then we were assigned to a task force that was attached to 1st Infantry Division. And so we were this National Guard unit, you know, trained is a loose word, I'd say. And we were the ones kicking in doors and chasing down bad guys. And, uh, we, you know, we started losing people and learned some really tough lessons along the way.
2: Tough lessons were an understatement. The war in Iraq was intensifying. The insurgency was growing bolder, and before the era which is commonly called the Surge, when the U.S. eventually flooded the battle space with thousands upon thousands of troops, the warfighters on the ground in 04 faced some of the most intense urban warfare that our military had seen. And for Dan Nevins, November 10, 2004, would be the day that changed his life Forever. We
4: got some intelligence a couple of days later that some of the insurgency was leaving Fallujah to come into our area of operation. So, like the most prepared, well-trained professional army in the world, we drew up a battle plan. We prepared, we practiced. We were headed out for a 72-hour dismounted counterinsurgent operation. So, we just thought we knew where they'd be. So, instead of letting them come to us, we wanted to go to them and headed out for that mission uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, November 10th my life was changed forever when an improvised was supposed device that made beneath my vehicle. And it basically shattered my reality. Yeah. You know, I remember when that explosion happened, my head was bowed in prayer like it was before every mission. And then I could remember like feeling and hearing the truck disintegrate around my body. And when I opened my eyes and I might've been knocked out for a couple seconds, not really sure. I realized that I was ejected from the vehicle and I, was laying in the dirt, and my legs were still caught in the twisted and burning metal that used to be the floorboard undercarriage of the truck. And then I just remember when the, the dust was settling and the, you know chaos was happening. I just remember listening and listening to my, my team move with tactical proficiency, securing the perimeter, doing everything they're supposed to do. But it's pitch black outside, and I can start to see a, a little more because the lingering fire from the blast that started to engulf my vehicle gave some light. And then I remember as the dust cloud finally started to send enough to see, I noticed that my my good friend, my my boss, my leader, uh, Sergeant First Class Mike, I only knew who was driving the vehicle. I had made the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. And when I saw Mike and how catastrophic his wounds were, I realized I was probably hurt a lot more than I had really even noticed yet. And so I went to work on myself and started with our head like we're trained. My helmet came apart in two pieces in my hand, and that wasn't a great start, but I was conscious, and that's good. And then, you know, it just went through the drill, checked my arms, my torso, and when I reached up for my legs, they were still, like I'm laying on my back in the dirt, and my legs are up and still like trapped inside the vehicle, still attached. When I reached up for my legs, that's when I felt the unmistakable arterial blood spurt with every beat of my heart. I had severed my femoral artery on my left leg, and I was—I knew I was done. Making my peace with God, saying goodbye to my wife, my 10-year-old daughter. I was basically giving up and losing what seemed like all of my blood in this miserable place. And then, you know, like one by one, these thoughts would come up. You know, sort of like they say when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. It really wasn't my experience necessarily it was more like can't even really recall exactly but it's sort of like watching things i'd never see happen and i remember the last one that was my my daughter all grown up and dressed in white head to toe walking down the aisle without her dad and i just shut up and i was like dan i'm alive and i just reached my hand into the wound like i i knew i needed to stop the bleeding i had that sort of clarity moment i have to stop the bleeding and i just I thought I was going to be like MacGyver and reaching in and just like pinch it off. And that's not how it went down. I just pressed against the piece of shrapnel that was still lodged in my femur and prayed that it would just give enough time for the medic to arrive. And then it's like I blinked my eyes and there was my medic, a guy named Dan Smee right there. Blinked again, had a tourniquet on my leg, IV in my arm. It's like I blinked one more time and there was my whole team, my family really, putting themselves in harm's way to help remove my legs from that vehicle, I was still on fire. And uh, thanks to them, I'm still here. Helicop- short helicopter ride to back to the main gate to LSA in the condo where I'd have my first amputation. I just remember waking up from that surgery, and there was a combat nurse's face right in mine. And, you know, I'll never know her name, unfortunately, but I'll never forget her face or what she said. She said, Sergeant Evans, you're a very lucky man. We managed to repair your femoral artery. We had to take your left leg below the knee. We managed to save your right one for now, but you'll probably lose that one too. And in that moment, I just had the biggest pity party. Like the thing that's going to my mind is like, okay, so I was a competitive runner. I like kind of defined myself as like what I could do with my body. And now my, like I couldn't run anymore. How was, how would my wife see me, would she still love me anymore? My my daughter, I used to run around and play hard like dads do with their kids, like throw on my shoulders and run around. And like, I just thought that picture was completely shattered. And I started to shut down, but then just just in that moment, I looked up against the wall of the tent, and there was my whole team just waiting for me to wake up. And that sort of shrugged off that pity party, and you know, they gathered around my bed, and we told... You're a vet. you understand this. We told horribly inappropriate jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: This is the part of the veteran experience I absolutely love. And, and it doesn't matter what branch you were in. It really doesn't matter where you've been. That kind of humor, that the attitude that we stick together and that we give each other. And I've heard your wound and wounds called a paper cut by guys in your same position, because they call the the below-the-knee amputations a paper cut. And I absolutely love the fact that you guys, even in the midst of this nightmare, are sitting there, and I'm sure somebody at some point on your journey told you, oh, you just got a couple paper cuts. Oh, Good for you. You're going to be fine. (laughs) Exactly. It's totally true. With that fighting spirit, Dan Nevins would go on to have multiple surgeries. And although he would lose his leg, he would eventually return to the States, and experienced the assistance and encouragement from the team at the Wounded Warrior Project. But as he battled his own painful rehabilitation, he was given a choice.
4: They said, we could take your leg off, the one that remains your right one, and you'll probably just kind of, you know, it'll be just like your left, and you'll, you'll heal pretty quickly, or we could try to save it. And, you know, we don't know what it's going to be like, but we could try So they gave me the option, and I, and I chose to try, and I kept that leg for three years. Until I finally decided to take it off, which was literally the best decision I ever made. Um, It was tough. It was sort of a whole process because, one, I didn't want any more surgeries. I had already retired from the military. I had left the hospital. I thought I was finished with surgery. But it was a constant nightmare of ridiculous, relentless pain. um, Every single step that I took. And it was finally a bone infection in my right ankle which my ankle was like the the epicenter of the pain that said that was the straw that broke the camel's back and I'm like I'm done I'm done with pain I'm done with just this toll it's taking on my body time to take it off and uh eight weeks after that surgery of removing my right leg I was running again
2: Dan's incredible warrior spirit led him to walk and even run again but when we returned We'll hear about the demon that almost took over his life and the thing he did to conquer it. That's ahead when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. The veteran stories we hear make us proud to be Americans. We were doing convoy security on the road for 48 hours. But the stories we don't reflect the wounds that Wounded Warrior Project is there to heal. We're coming really close to the base, and there was an explosion. He hit his foot on the gas. I end up putting my face into the bulletproof glass. Now, more than ever, we need to help each other. And with only a $50 donation, you can help get One Warrior the mental health services that heal the mind, body, and soul.
4: I was not dealing with pain medication and I was not dealing with everything right. And I need help. I need to talk to someone about how to fix my life. 18 minutes after I called Wounded Warrior Project, they had a person on the line
2: calling me back. That's the power of just a $50 donation to Wounded Warrior Project. You help a veteran get through his worst day. So give what you can today at donatetowarriors.org. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans, powered by connectingvets.com. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. In our last segment, we heard about how Army veteran and Wounded Warrior Project ambassador Dan Nevins survived an IED blast. The explosion would cost him one leg immediately, and after a painful three years, he eventually made the decision to have his second leg amputated also. That decision would lead him to a life-changing activity, which is an activity he says everyone in America should consider doing. But before he found relief, he would have to face something that millions of Americans struggle with every day. Obviously, you had the physical pain from the injuries and the amputations, but then you had the anxiety and you had, I'm sure, you know, the other things that they try to treat for the TBIs and for the concussions and such. Did you ever feel, or right. talk to me about the meds you were on. Did they ever take hold? What did were, were you ever at a point afraid that these meds might be too much to ever get off? Oh, absolutely. It
4: was, you know, so when you're in the hospital, especially in the early stages, you just take everything they tell you because they're like, well, one, you're in a ridiculous amount of pain. So the pain medicine is 100% appropriate. And it's actually a miracle. Opioid pain medicine is a gift from God that we were able to discover and use. And um, it's a very, very slippery slope. Because there's, attached to pain medicine is, in a lot of times, like euphoria. So, like, it feels good, like, in your body. Not only takes care of the pain, but it feels good in your body. And then you become physically dependent on it. So, I was on, I wish I had to remember about it, like, Seroquel, I was on, um, well, first I was on a ridiculous amount of IV Dilaudid, which is, again, miracle drug. It's worth its weight in gold, if not more, in the right scenario, but it became something I looked forward to. Mm. And then transitioning off of the IV pain medicine, I've tried every single that's like pill, like whether it was Oxycontin or hydrocodone. And I was in so much pain to get the amount of pain relief that I needed. I was on a a dose that, you know, made me just catatonic. It was like, I, I couldn't function. So I actually wound up on the thing that you hear in the news every day today. I was on fentanyl. I was on 100 micrograms an hour of a fentanyl patch. And on fentanyl, ultimately, by the time I decided to take my right leg, so three years. Now, over the three years, you have to keep increasing your dose to get the same amount of pain relief because your body becomes tolerant. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: I was on enough pain medicine, enough fentanyl to kill an elephant.
1: 100
4: micrograms an hour on a patch and 500 microgram lollipops I'm um, supposed to be three times a day, but I would take them five times a day a lot of times if I had a very active day. And uh it's just way it's way too much it's way too much pain medicine.
2: I was curious. He survived taking what many veterans have come to call the combat cocktail. But did Dan feel that the government is overprescribing drugs? I think it I think it's starting to get better.
4: The more people I talk to um, at different events, whether it's just a Wounded Warrior Project event, or I, I mean, I'm the guy that asks people, "Hey, you still on this? I, I'm the guy because I I, I want to know. Yeah. And then because I have, I'm ultimately have these this uh, sort of selfish motive is I want them to be better to their bodies and practice yoga and because movement I think is the best medicine.
2: Now Dan would go through a vicious recovery. He would quit cold turkey. And despite having the feelings that his skin was going to crawl off of him, he endured and eventually gave up the pain meds. But it was in that last sentence that we heard something very profound. It's one of the things that gave Dan the power to break free of the grip of the opiates. And it's also the first thing you'll hear Dan talk about with his fellow vets. And that's yoga. Share with me what it's doing to your mind while you're twisting your body.
4: You know, it's, a, it's sort of a trick question. I'm going to answer it the best way I know how. Is that it's really not doing anything. It's allowing our bodies and, and us, the, the us that's basically running the show that's not our thoughts, like the us that is um, the deepest part of us mm-hmm. and our physical bodies, it's allowing them a break from all the incessant thoughts. And worry and anxiety. It's being completely present with our breath and our body in motion. And in that presence, when you're completely present on getting your body into what in, in my yoga practice I practice Baptiste yoga, it's we call it true north alignment. And what that is is it's basically your posture. So it's pulling your shoulders back, lifting your chest, opening your airways. Con- putting your shoulders back where they were, they're were they meant to actually be versus rounded forward in like the stress reaction. You know, when our, our when the stress response in our body is activated our amygdala creates all these stress hormones that sort of roll us forward like in, in some sort of act of cr- folding into a ball. Like if you're about to be crushed by a boulder, you'd curl up in a ball to protect your vital organs, etc. And so the stress response does the same thing, but on a lighter level. So in yoga, we're, actually undoing that, mo- that motion of collapsing, and we're standing up straight and pulling our shoulders back, and that is sending a signal. Like When we override our body's response to stress and start taking it back, and instead of the shallow breathing that you'd have if you're stressed, you take deep, full, complete breaths. You're basically sending a signal to your brain that says, hey, I know you're feeling stressed out, but we've actually got this. And then you're so busy on your yoga mat holding your body in certain positions and then really working on putting true north alignment in your body during every pose, like getting the right posture in every pose, that you're too occupied on what's actually happening in this moment right now to be lost in the sauce about some negative thing that happened in your past or stressing out over something that, is in the future and hasn't even happened yet. And you're bringing all the fear, anxiety, worry as a real experience in the present moment over a future that isn't even real. And so when we can take the time to be present in that way so specifically and put our bodies into the alignment they were born to be in, it's, the, the magic happens by itself. And my, a good friend of mine named Catherine Cook-Catone in University of Buffalo, she did research on how um, yoga works in the stress response in the body. And it's exactly what I described. When you put your body into the position of I'm not stressed out, it actually shuts shuts down and reverses the stress process in the body. So as a vet who's, you know, having gone through all the things that I've went through and now I'm on the other side of this, this yoga practice, it's basically like I've found the cure to cancer, but it's not, cancer, it's, you know, the stress, the, the effects of combat stress. Yeah, yeah. And so now it's like I have to try to share it.
2: And sharing it across the country is now Dan Nevin's mission in life. Currently he's leading Baptiste yoga classes every week in cities around the country and as a speaker and ambassador for the Wounded Warrior Project, he inspires audiences from coast to coast. Learn more about his message of yoga and overcoming adversity at dannevins.com dannevins.com and you can always support warfighters like Dan by going to woundedwarriorproject.org I'm Phil Briggs and I'll be back next week with more great veteran stories on the next edition of CBS Ion Veterans All right so that does it for this week's show thank you for listening Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter, at IonVeterans, or you can reach me, at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please, like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C., and I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans.
0: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial
5: Planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that
0: make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow MoneyWatch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.